Are you recording? I am recording now, yes. All right. Um, Our story today is from a new producer with us, Noon Saleh, who, by the way, she and I were classmates together in middle school. Um, But a couple of months ago, Noon came to us with this idea so I'm still, you know, fairly new to the city, to Abu Dhabi. Noon recently moved from Los Angeles to Abu Dhabi. So I live right across the Corniche, which is this long stretch of beach that lines the city. And every once in a while, I see from my window these beautiful big boats or dows sailing by. And some carry tourists, some are empty. It's such a beautiful sight watching them float along the banks of this very new modern city. They almost look like they belong in another time. So I thought to myself, I was like, you know, what, what is their story? Which, as you can all guess, is the kind of question we love at Kerning Cultures. So naturally, we got excited and asked Noon to look more into it. And so I do a little bit of digging, and I found that there's much more than these historic vessels. That at the harbor where they're docked, there's a whole community of men who for the past two, three, four decades have lived and worked on these dows with very little interaction with the city around them. Sailors from Gujarat and in India. Gujarat, by the way, is one of India's biggest coastal states. It's in the west of India, and while most Gujaratis are vegetarian, they have one of the highest producing fishing industries in all of India. It was like a whole subculture existed of fishermen who ate, slept, prayed, worked together for years and years. So I went out to the docks I tried to speak to some of these guys, but I quickly found out that I would need a translator, someone that spoke Gujarati. So I took to these Facebook women's groups, asked around, and met this lovely translator, Vipruta, or Vips. uh, And she met one of the sailors during this Hindu religious gathering. And that was Ramchandra. Okay, starting recording now. Vips and I met Ramchandra at the docks. And he's a smiling, quiet man, short stature, dark bronze complexion. He's impeccably dressed, a white dress shirt and beige slacks. So he leads us up onto the boats. And to get to his boat, it's about the fourth boat down and to the right, you have to physically jump across each boat. And you got to watch out for the gaps between each boat. And you're doing this as the boats all bop up and down to the motions of the waves. And you also want to keep your head ducked because those clotheslines are unforgiving and it's like, One of those video games, you know, when you're trying to avoid all the incoming flying objects. Uh, So it was it was it was a very interesting, uh, you know, walk up to his boat. But we arrived. And these guys, this group of men responsible for bringing us the fish we eat in Abu Dhabi, they live this life that we don't know too much about as consumers. But then Noon found out the story goes deeper than that. I think it was at the moment that we sat across from Chandra. I found out that later that month, the government was coming down with a rule that would essentially change the way that they fish. And everything that these guys have known for the past two, three, four decades, these men's livelihoods, the industry itself, it was all coming to an end. Today, a story that intersects tradition, livelihood, fish, and community. We're documenting a world with you that will soon be erased. I'm Hibba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, stories from the Middle East and the spaces in between. Oh, this is from Be 
that have been doing street art. It's predictable. They've seen it happen. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. The streets lost culture. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. So we got to the boat, sat down, started talking to Ramchandra, the boat's captain. He was a 20-year-old when he came here. He came with his uncle. This is Vipruta. She told me that Ramchandra is the oldest of six siblings. He was the oldest, and she had one sister and six brothers. He started working with his father when he completed his 10th grade. He started working as a fisherman in the 10th grade, and years later traveled to Abu Dhabi with his uncle. They came here so that they can support their father because they didn't have enough money. So they prefer that the, the eldest brother will start uh, coming into this fishing activity so that their younger siblings can go for the studies. Ramchandra said he grew up poor and for young men in his village in Gujarat, the Gulf was a way out of that. All of the men we spoke to were from the same province in India called Gujarat. And it's a place a lot of young men come from to the UAE because it faces the mouth of the Gulf across the Arabian Sea. Because of how far away it is and how expensive it is, they don't get to go home very often, maybe about once a year or so. And they're living and working in the UAE away from their families. So when they speak of home, of Gujarat, their responses are wistful, almost romantic. He's saying that uh, once he enters his village, it is like, he feels like totally he, it's, it's a heaven for him because it's very clean, fresh air and that smell of the first rain. So it is like very good. It's like everyone's doors are open. So you know who is where, there. So, and everyone knows each other. So all they are like huge family. So they enjoy very much there. So it's a very good life over there. In the 1950s in the UAE, fishing was a critical part of the economy. And Abu Dhabi in particular made up about 70% of the fishing for the entire UAE. But then, when oil was discovered in the 60s, the economy shifted. So I wanted to see how these guys fish. So Ramchandra offers to take us on a short boat ride around the marina and show us how it's done. Better we get hold to something, otherwise it will start okay. moving. Here we go. <laughs> so the men split their time between being out at sea or working on the boat while docked. They spend maybe 15, 20 days of the month docked, and the rest actively fishing out at sea. The men show me around the dhow. We go down a steep stairwell of about six or seven steps into a very hot and humid lower deck. The engine occupies most of the small space. No, they stop the engine while they sleep. Okay, good. Stop. Wow, that was loud. On the days they're docked, they wake up with the sun. So they start their day from morning 5 o'clock. Then at 5.30 they start their prayers from this holy book of ours. It's called Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is a Hindu sacred text written in Sanskrit. It means song of the spirit. So they will recite two to three chapters from that book. And then again in the boat also they will do some prayers. Then they will start with some nets making and all the small, small work related to boats. These guys fish traditionally, using something called a gurgur, which is a metal net. And I see now that he just put some bread in the net. What's that about? Put some food for the fish. Imagine, kind of, you know, like the 
cage made of wires and they they use it by throwing it into the ocean into the sea uh, and it's a very effective way to target uh, kind of a large proportion of fish they're not super large they're about you know half a meter high half a meter wide um, and, and and they trap fish so fish aren't able to kind of they aren't able to, once they come in they aren't they aren't able to go, go out and what the captains do is what they attach a piece of bread food to catch the fish essentially now he's throwing this net in the sea when they are in the sea they keep it in the sea for 15 to 20 days He's, there, he's uh, steering the, sh the ship with his feet. Huh? He's steering it with his feet. <laughs> yeah, because he is doing something with his hand. <laughs> Each boat has this elevated portion towards the back of the boat where a cloth-like material serves as kind of a shade overhead. So throughout all the boats, you'll see fishermen kind of gather, sit underneath this makeshift shade, cross-legged, playing cards, napping, chatting. It's quite obviously the coolest spot on the boat under the scorching Abu Dhabi sun. <laughs> Traditionally, these boats were used by early Emiratis for pearl diving and for trading. At that time, obviously there were no cars, no buses, so you could only get around by sea. It's impressive when you when you look at the boats and the way that they're built. They're built with no technical drawings. They rely solely on the shipbuilder, which was and still is a prized skill among old Emiratis. They look like something which has survived decades of time, a boat which could have easily been used in the early 1900s, for example. But then they're dotted with little corners of technology, like the GPS, safely tucked away behind a small wooden door. This shows that the, if there are more stones or more uh, sand area is there, so based on that, they can know that where the fish will be. I so see. location of the fish can be tracked through this. So they go out to they go out to sea. They use the GPS technology to help identify the best place, the best location, uh, fish-wise, uh, to throw their nets. That same GPS can then help them retrace their steps, so to speak, uh, to find their nets later on. So they throw their nets in and then come back in 15 days or so uh, to collect their catch. Acha, 125 net each boat. Each boat has about 125 nets. And that was a regulation by the environmental agency in order to restrict overfishing. And they're catching fish like hamur, 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 sari, sapi, sapi, sari, sapi and crab. Usually around 500 to 600 kilograms of fish per boat which they can sell for at a good auction, around 10,000 dirham. It depends upon the auction rate. So if there is good rate, then it, they may get around 9,000 to 10,000. But it can be around six to 7,000 as well. It totally depends on the auction. It can also be as low as like six to 7,000 dirham as well. So that's a maximum of about 2,700 US dollars gross income. So if they have earned 10,000 per boat, then the same day they will be uh, deducting the cost, maintenance cost. Various running costs like diesel, um, paying the local sponsors. And that'll leave them with a profit of around 4,000 to split between six to seven 6, people, the cost. crew members. And then it will be like uh, 4,000 left. Then they will distribute among these uh, two captains. And then they will distribute among the other people, like say there are three to four people. So they'll be getting, say, 500 per person. 142 US dollars. 
For Ramchandra and his colleagues, though, it's enough to make a living here in the UAE and still send a chunk back home to Gujarat every month. And working conditions here are better than for fishermen back home, they said. There in India, the water is very deep. Here it is not that deep. And uh, there they don't have this metal net. She's talking about the gargour, which is really good at catching fish. And it's because it's so effective that it's caused overfishing in the UAE. Abandoned gargours also pose a huge threat to marine life. Think of lost metal cages trapping fish under the sea, something known as ghost fishing. The gargours also have been responsible for trapping endangered species because, of course, they don't discriminate what they catch. So the UAE has been trying to address the issue of overfishing for years, enacting a series of laws including placing restrictions on the use of the gargour. To give you an example of just how serious this problem is, earlier this year, the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi found that more than 85% of the local favorite, Hamur, had essentially been wiped out and could result in the species' complete extinction in the Arabian Gulf. In the same month I met Ramchandra and his crew while I was sitting atop their boat, the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment issued a resolution banning the use of the gargour cages. So what I had seen is that they were only using gargours to fish. So if they didn't have a gargour, then they really didn't have any other method of fishing. It's really all that they knew how to use. That's it. That This is the last day for your fishing and everything will be closed. Nothing else. That why, what is the reason, when they, they can start. Nothing uh, they have been informed. So it's just... But they have been hearing from other people that it is maybe because of the harm it is uh, doing to the environment and sea world uh, it's all in hands of god so god must have made some other plans for them so uh, i want to ask this from from ramchandra because he's been here for 30 years i think so after being here for 30 years this is a uh, this is, has become kind of home to him it's 3 year 30 years of seeing how Abu Dhabi has changed, seeing all these things. Does he feel like he's going to miss it? Was he, is he a little bit, is there any kind of sadness associated with this leave? Mm-hmm. Uh, they also feel uh, Abu Dhabi as their home country only because they got that warmth and the support, friends, everything from Abu Dhabi. So this is also like their second home. So they will definitely miss being here because they have started their business and all. They have spent so many years with their friends. They've got uh, good friends they are like their family, so they will definitely miss this. Before I left the fishermen, they wanted to show me one more thing. We're now going across to another one of the boats. We're celebrating Lord Ram's birthday, R.A.M. Ram's birthday. It's called Ram Naomi. So these men are all sitting on the ground, cross-legged. Some have guitars drums, tambourine. One stands at the mic, leading the prayer song. Some have their eyes closed. Others are staring at me and my audio recording equipment intently. And there's a rhythmic beat to it all. The drumming, the praise, the clapping, and the boat's up and down movement to the waves. So beautiful. Because the moon waxes and wins, right? So on the ninth day, when the moon is in this, that day we celebrate this. It's called Ram Naomi a spring Hindu festival that celebrates the birthday of Lord Rama by engaging in a celebratory praise of his virtues. They offer uh, fruits, flowers as a prashad. 
and uh, they decorate with uh, fresh flowers and they put dia a lamp with uh, ghee and they sing uh, this type of bhajan and kirtans for lord ram effective may 1st 2019 the gujarati fishermen packed up their few belongings accumulated over the last few decades photos clothes and with their dhow still anchored at the mina sea port in abu dhabi made their final trip back home to gujarat what happens next to ramchandra and his crew is uncertain they give me vague answers maybe they'll start fishing again in india maybe they'll start a small business back home But they always come back to the similar response this was god's will and will be all right This episode was produced by Noon Saleh with editorial supports from Alex Atak, Dana Balut, and myself, Hiba Fisher. Sound design by Mohamed Khrizat. Bella Ibrahim is our marketing manager and fact-checking by Zaina Duedar. Special thanks to Vipruta Vagadia, Ramchandra Tandal and his crew, and Fatima Asayikh. Also, a big thank you to our new patrons supporting us on Patreon, Farah, Hala, Sarah, Laith, Sage, Albert, and Mohammed. You are making the production of these stories possible. Thank you. And next time on Kerning Cultures, we have a story about a Uyghur linguist in Istanbul trying to preserve his language when much of his culture is being destroyed by the Chinese state. That's in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Until next time.